0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the VCDX podcast, a short-form podcast focused on the VCDX certification with news, updates and advice, and as special guests. My name is Simon Long, VCDX number 105, and in this episode, we'll be offering you some advice on ways to recover from failing your latest VCDX certification attempt. Here's a taste of what's coming up.
1: And to be completely honest, my journey for data center virtualization started in I think 2010. I didn't get it until 2012 and that was four attempts later so I actually had to go through four defenses before I passed.
0: but there, there's been some defenses I've been in where clearly the person has been so nervous that you're not you know they're not able to give their best.
1: I, I was I was nervous and I just I walked in and Chris Collati was sitting there and I knew him from Twitter and I just like I, I crapped myself I was like, oh my god. So, yeah, that was probably the worst experience of
0: my life. Welcome to the news and updates section. With VMworld 2019 firmly behind us and the dust has settled, it's time to let you know about the next VCDX workshop that's coming up. The next workshop we have is at the Boston VMUG, which will be held on Wednesday, September the 25th. So, about two weeks from the release of this podcast. So, for those of you who are interested, I'll put the registration link in the show notes as usual and if you're not really familiar with what a vcdx workshop is i highly recommend you check out episode two of the vcdx podcast where chris mutchler and i talk to you about all of the different advantages that you can get from attending one of these workshops i think at the moment we've also got some vcdx panels actively happening this week so good luck to those who are defending this week and hopefully in the next episode, we'll have some news of successful passes in the VCDX community. So that's all for this week in the news and updates section. Let's head into the guest interview. You're listening to the VCDX Podcast. Moving on to our guest interview, who is this episode's special guest? Give me your name and your number.
1: Hi, hey, my name is Mike Brown and I am number 71.
0: Hey Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. And the, the question is, have you recovered from VMworld yet?
1: Uh, I have, I you... think I, I'm getting there. It's, it was a wild week, but, um, I think I'm recovered now.
0: Yeah. I mean, those weeks are always fun. I remember we kind of, we bumped into each other at the, the VCDX round table on the Sunday, Sunday morning. So kind of almost before everything started kicking off and, uh, had lots of energy at that point. And then it slowly kind of went downhill from then onwards.
1: Yeah, as the week goes on, the energy level tends to go down. down. Yeah. Coffee consumption. I, I can't, goes up. I can't even make it to, yeah, I can't even make it to the parties anymore. I'm just I'm too old. I don't know.
0: Uh, but it was a, it was a, it was definitely a good good week. I really enjoyed it. So, um, which VCDX certifications do you have?
1: Uh, so the first one I did was data center virtualization, mm-hmm. and then about a year ago, I did my second one, which was uh, network virtualization.
0: Very cool. Are you involved in the VCDX program at all today, like from a panelist, mentoring, that kind of thing?
1: Uh, yeah, I do sit some panels when they need me. So yep. I've probably done 20 or so. I started in about 2012 doing panels, so I've okay. around 20 since then. Very cool. So Mike,
0: just tell us about your current role. What What is it you do? Who do you work for? Just to give us a bit of an understanding about your background.
1: Sure. Uh, so I work for VMware. Um, Today, it depends on when you listen to this, but okay. as of today, I work in the VMware Validator Design Team, mm-hmm. um, okay. where I I own all the networking stack and a lot of the core vSphere stack. Um, on the thirtieth of September, I am moving roles into um, getting a promotion up to uh, what we call senior staff at VMware, and I'm moving to our Telco NFB. Um, Business unit. Ah, very cool. Yeah, so I'll um, be involved in all the new 5G architecture and all that kind of new fun stuff over there.
0: Very cool. Well, first of all, congratulations. That's that breaking news there on the VCDX podcast. But that's that's great news. I mean, we obviously worked with each other when I was at VMware a couple of years ago when you were in the VVD team. So it's nice that you've you've got a promotion and you're now going to be doing something slightly different to to kind of stretch your knowledge and test you a little bit further, which is
1: great. Exactly. Yeah. It's always, yeah, I, I like to keep fresh. So this will definitely uh, keep me fresh. Stuff that I have not touched in years and some stuff that I've never even seen before. So very it, will cool. be, it will be fun.
0: Definitely, definitely.
1: All right. So, Mike, I, I know in the past when we've,
0: we've, we've talked about the VCDX and the VCDX program, you mentioned that you didn't pass your VCDX the first time. And, and as you know, many people taking the VCDX don't pass on their first attempt. Like it's a very small percentage that do. So based on on your experiences, what words of advice can you give our listeners to help them when they're not successful with their latest attempt?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, So I, you know, being in the community and everything on Twitter and everything Mm -hmm. for years going through all the BCX stuff, I see a lot of people who don't pass the first time and they just give up. Yeah. Um, That, unfortunately, I think happens quite a bit. Yeah. Um, So that's my first piece is don't give up, you know, like like you just said a lot of people don't pass the first time and to be completely honest my journey for data center virtualization started in i think 2010 i mm-hmm. didn't get it till 2012 and that was four attempts later so i actually had to go through four defenses before i passed so yeah
0: i mean this is actually i mean it's like you know yeah. people like, take the first attempt and they fail and they kind of immediately say like ah oh, this is t- too much effort or i'm not good enough or you know yeah, yeah, that's obviously exactly. not the, not the case in the majority of the time. It's just like, but what can we, what what can you, what can we do to help them realize, help people realize that okay, just because you failed first time, it doesn't mean you can't pass the second, the third, or the fourth, or however long it takes for you to get there.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's a lot of you know perseverance. You know, some people have it, some don't. And um, I think a lot sitting on panels. I think I can say this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people are just like. Insanely nervous when they come in, especially the first time. It's kind of an intimidating process. So, you know, people sitting on the panels aren't out to get you. And they're just asking the questions they need to, to, I mean, to score you so that you can pass. That's, I mean, when we sit on panels, our job is not to try and fail people. It's actually to try and pass people. So, you know, we ask the questions we ask just so that we can try and get that score that we need to be able to right so uh, pass, and
0: so. it's, it's a good point i mean uh, you know everyone is going to have some nerves at some point but there there's been some defenses i've been in where like clearly the person has been so nervous that you're not you know they're not able to give their best which is exactly. you know disappointing for them because they they've done all this hard work to get themselves in the room with you and i think they've maybe gotten themselves they've worked themselves up so much about the process and what happens within the defense that they're not able to perform to their their highest ability. So, you know, as a panelist now, is there any kind of tips you can give people who are extremely nervous about it? Anything that could help calm them down? I know it's very difficult for us to do because ultimately we're gonna say, say, don't worry about it, you'll be fine, just come in. But I think, you know, as panelists, we try, I certainly try to do my best. If I feel that someone is, is, you know, very nervous, you can kind of tell when they come into the room, you know, whether they're, you know, relaxed or wherever they're a little bit tense. And then sometimes I'll try and maybe drop a little joke in there or something. Or if it, if it's within the first slide on this, um, within their presentation, I'll ask them a very simple question to try and help them kind of relax a little bit more like that. I mean,
1: what, what, yeah. can, what I mean, yeah, do? I kind of take the same approach. So, um, something else than not a lot of people know about me is I am autistic. So maybe that was probably the reason why I didn't give up is because mm-hmm. once I set my mind to it, I'd like. I have to finish something once I start it. I, yeah. just, I can't stop. It's just part of my nature. So um, I, I don't pick up on some of the stuff like that when people walk in the room. I have a hard time reading people. Okay, but if I, you know, if I do notice somebody that is nervous or somebody else mentions it, like you said, I, I try and crack a joke. Um, I'm mm-hmm. obviously not the best joke teller, but um, <laughs> or yeah, or you know, kind of throw them a softball, like you said, you know, just to you know get their maybe hopefully it brings their nerves down, but if yeah. not, at least it gives them some confidence in answering the questions. Say, Oh, they, you know, I know the answer to this. So, you know, I can answer this and, you know, boost their confidence a little bit. So maybe they, they relax yeah. a little bit. Um, I, I would just tell people, everybody who sits on the panel has been where you've been yep. and we're all just people. And, you know, at the end of the day, we want to see the program succeed Definitely. and we want it to grow. Um,
0: yeah, and that's, that's the thing. I mean, we we want people to be at their best in the defense, right? So being yep. so nervous that you can hardly think is not gonna. Be, you're not going to be at your best. So, you know, For try sure. and try and figure out what you can do as yourself, as someone who's defending, to try and calm your nerves a little bit. I mean, you're never going to get rid of them completely, of course, um, but try and figure out. Okay, if you know you're going to go in there and you're extremely anxious that's not going to be a good state for you to go in there so try and figure out some ways to you know calm calm yourself down maybe do some a bit of meditation or simple breathing before you get into the room and maybe come into the room say hello to everyone you know look them in the eye some people don't even like to do that a lot of the time and then almost just try and try and calm yourself before you get in the room because i think sometimes Some people are beaten or, you know, they've they've already kind of failed themselves before they get into the room because they just aren't able to do, you know, what they need to do, which is a shame because it's a lot of work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that too. Yeah. I think a lot of people fail themselves before they even walk in. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate because even get to that point, you've done a lot of work Mm -hmm. and obviously your design is good enough or you wouldn't be in the room to begin with.
0: Yep. Definitely. So it's
1: really just, you know, answering the questions and then another thing that i've noticed is and i'm not great at this myself but whiteboarding skills um mm-hmm. i can't emphasize that that's a pretty big one too being able to get stuff up on the board and get designs on the board um yeah. and uh, it's yeah. a big deal and i think like even for me as well i'm not
0: great at writing on the whiteboard I'm left-handed so it doesn't make it easier because you can't really rest your hand on the board and things but the only way you're going to improve is just practice unfortunately so like just get yourself a whiteboard at home in your in your in your home in the office at work and even when things don't need to be whiteboarded out just write you know write your to-do lists on there and just get used to just writing things on a whiteboard and the more you do it the more you'll feel comfortable of doing it. So when you get asked a question, it will just kind of flow. So, you know, it's a good tip on how to kind of practice on the whiteboarding side. So Mike, kind of between when you knew that you had that you failed and your next attempt, like what sort of things did you do to try and, you know, improve your, uh, improve your defense the next time or your design or those? So, parts?
1: yeah, that's a good question. So in between, I would... You, know, you get feedback, so when you fail, you get um so anybody who's failed knows this, but you get an email mm-hmm. and it's a little vague yeah. I mean can't be super specific but it's but it tells you some areas that you need to work on, so I would take that and I would you know go research those areas more um mm-hmm. learn more about those areas, and then sometimes I would change the design in those areas, and sometimes I'd be like, eh, my design was good in that area, maybe I just didn't perform well in you know the troubleshooting or the scenario yeah. or just defending that part of my design maybe i was just weak there so i would go through and like uh i kept um a one note journal mm-hmm. of you know of just um possible questions i could get asked and you know what the answers could be or um different parts of my design that i wasn't 100 mm-hmm. percent confident that i could just spout off i would have in that one note document and I could just go back and just keep reading it back and forth to myself. I did that quite a bit yeah. between the three. Um, well, I think what really helped the most, and I only did this once and it was before the one I passed. So maybe this is what did it, but I actually did a mock defense. So I had mm-hmm. um, kind of uh, Jason Baki, Scott Lowe and Rick, and I can never pronounce his names Yeah. Especially an S. Scherner? Rick Scherner, I think. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yep. Him. Yep. Yes. I can't. Yeah. I'm bad with <laughs> names. Uh, but they did a mock defense for me. And okay. I think that probably helped the most out of everything that I did. Oh, great.
0: That's that's a really good tip. I mean, I, I've spoke to a lot of people who have repairing recently on some of the previous episodes of the VCDX podcast. And a lot more people are doing the mock defenses now to the point where some people have done like 10 plus mock defenses which, oh, wow. yeah, I know, right? That's a lot. But I mean, if, if that's <laughs> that a lot. but if that's what it takes to get you comfortable with being in a situation where you get asked different questions about your design and being able to talk about about it, then that's what it takes, right? I mean, it, no one wants to do a mock defense at all. Like, I don't. If someone said to me, you want to right. do a mock, I'd be like, no, not really. Because um, it's <laughs> never it's never fun. I mean, some yeah. people may find it fun, but I, I personally don't. But it's certainly better to do it now than, you know, just the defense being your mock and the actual defense at the same time. So I think that's a really good, good tip and certainly something we've been hitting home here on this podcast is try and get as many mock defenses in as you can with, with various different people, not necessarily the same people over and over as well, because you'll see it from other people's perspectives.
1: Yeah, that's, that's true. You know, and another thing I did the last time that I defended was, um, I knew my design had some errors, some flaws in it. Mm -hmm. So I actually called those out. So it was, so, I don't know to sitting back as a panelist I'm like trying to think if that's good or bad but you know I, that's what I did so like during the slides as I was going through my presentation I would say my design says this but oh by the way that's wrong it should actually be this mm-hmm. um and just kind of called out stuff that was wrong yeah. in the design and cuz my design was 100% fictitious okay um, and yeah. I will say that's very hard to defend yeah. um if I had it to do over again I wouldn't so when I did my envy it was not Okay, um, fictitious. Uh, I think fictitious designs are very easy for panelists to poke holes in. Um, so if you can base it on something real world and then add to some, add to, add some fictitious stuff to it, that's fine. But it's just you don't really stop and think about every little thing when you're just making it up on the fly. No, um,
0: no, you, you really don't. And it's it's not it's, you, you know when you have a real customer design or a design for your company you know you've had those discussions. And almost when someone asks you a question, you can almost see that conversation that you had with that certain person in that department to ask them, how do we, you know, what's the best way we'd like to do this?
1: Exactly. And it just makes yeah, it a lot bit, sure. a
0: lot easier rather than, you know, someone asking you a question when, if it's fictitious, you have to just make something up. It, I mean, I'm not great at lying anyway, so that kind of makes yeah, which is neither, probably yeah. why I'm not in sales, but um, – <laughs> 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 But, you know, that's kind of why for me it was a lot easier to use a design that I knew I'd have all those conversations on and I could picture that as when I was going to ask the questions. Yeah, but I definitely agree with, uh, you know, pointing out things if it's not correct in the design up front. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, obviously, ideally, you'd like to have the document that the panelists have reviewed for, you know, a good four hours to be what you are defending because there's nothing worse than a panelist where you've gone in and you've kind of gone through all of this 200 page document and you've got all these questions and then suddenly someone comes in and says "Oh, all of this is wrong, it's actually this you know, try if you can beforehand get your design done and try not to make too many changes in it unless there's a big gaping hole in it between your application um, review and the actual defense itself that would be. Uh, yeah, yeah, it that might that be that my request as a that. panelist. Try not to make too many changes because it, it can make it harder for us to kind of understand what's happening, especially when you've kind of changed half the design from what we know.
1: Right. Yeah, for sure. All
0: right. So, Mike, w- knowing what you know now, if you could go back in time, back to when you're preparing for your, your first VCDX defense, what three pieces of advice would you give yourself?
1: Oh, man. So, like we talked about earlier, nerves. When I walked in that first time, Mm-hmm. I was so nervous. And this this design was based on like a 3.X design. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was, uh, I, I was, I was nervous. And I just, I walked in and Chris Colati was sitting there and I knew him from Twitter and I just like, I, I crapped myself. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. So yeah, that was probably the worst experience of my life was that defense. So definitely just figure out a way to get over your nerves and no matter who's on your panel, whether it's, You know, Simon or myself or Duncan or Frank, or it doesn't matter. You know, everybody's, they're just people. Um, So unfortunately,
0: it's not until you, you kind of, if you don't know them beforehand, maybe you'll meet them afterwards and maybe at the VCDX round tables or, or something similar. It's not until afterwards that you realize, oh, they're just other people just like me. And, and that's kind exactly. of a shame we'd rather you know that beforehand because when you come into the room you just see them as just your peers rather than people looking down you know which is, is certainly not what we do right for sure
1: yeah so that's a big one mm-hmm. um and i mentioned earlier too whiteboarding skills my whiteboarding skills have were trem- were horrible I, I mean just like really really bad so practice whiteboarding and then um, know the, uh, and this is probably like common sense, but know the design, I mean, I, um, not just the design, but how things worked in the design. So I think my first design was solid, but I didn't understand how all the technologies worked together as well as I should have. Um, to be honest, I probably shouldn't have been in the room to begin with. Um, okay. I, I, I wasn't ready. I, I mean, I walked in and it was very easy for them to tell that I didn't know a lot of the stuff that was in that design yeah. um so yeah i mean easy stuff like how ha works for example right back in the 3x days it was way more complicated than it is now but yeah. even so you know i i couldn't answer some of those questions and i was like Ugh. so that was a really bad feeling so yeah. definitely know the ins and outs of the technologies that you're presenting inside of the the document um i mean anything you throw in there is fair game so i I had SRM in there, which I was fairly good with SRM, but, um, you know, a lot of candidates throw Mm -hmm. technology in to throw it in. And even if you're not defending an NSX design, if you have NSX in your design and you come into a defense, you're going to get asked about it. So yeah, no, definitely know everything, all the products that you're putting in and the configuration that you've got in there.
0: Yeah. And that's a good, good kind of piece of advice from that is don't just throw in products for the sake of throwing in products as well. Like people exactly. think, if you will, if I add more different products in, then that will give me more points. No, you just need to make sure no, that no. you your design covers the requirements from the customer and also covers the areas in the blueprint. You don't have to keep throwing in multiple different products to do the same thing. And it will only just make things yeah. more complicated for you because you'll need to understand yeah. all of them. I,
1: yeah, I think that hurts a lot of people is when they start throwing in, especially products that they're not yep. um, design experts in yeah, or know exactly how the technology works and they're throwing them in. Or I've seen a few times where people will uh, jointly work on something together and which is fine mm-hmm. and they submit the same design, but you both have to know everything about the design. You can't say, oh, I didn't do that part yeah, because then we can't score you <laughs> on it and it brings yeah. you down. And yeah. um, so if you're going to work on something together, definitely know both everything that you did and everything that your partner that you're working with did.
0: Yeah. No, that's definitely a good point, point. and we, we've seen that happen a few times before. We kind of get to the storage section; they're like, "Well, I don't really remember that my colleague did that part." Which exactly. we know, we all know that happens in real life. Unfortunately, that just sure. means we'll end up asking you more storage questions within the design scenario, which where you have to think on your feet, which probably is <laughs> exactly. for, for some people is more intense. And and yes. you know, just because your real life design maybe had NSX in it, for example. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to keep that in if you're not confident with it as long as you've still got networking and the networking will do whatever the design needs to be done you know a lot of customers may request nsx because they had it as part of an ela and they want to use the licenses etc the design doesn't always have to be what the design was with the customer you can you can customize it it doesn't have to be 100 real you know and in mike's case it was 100 fictitious so
1: exactly. if, you, if you kind of go. Oh, I, I wouldn't recommend that but yeah definitely take yeah. stuff out or or add stuff in if you need to to meet some requirements mm-hmm. um, but yeah for sure if you're not comfortable with something take it out
0: yeah as long as, as long as you can still you know cover the areas of the blueprint with a different technology that maybe you're more familiar with like for example if you're not necessarily familiar with hyperconverged you could maybe go back to a 3 tier or you know a 3 tier storage architecture instead not it's not, yep, it's not sure. like we wouldn't know any different as long as you're, you you know you're able to defend it and it's able to to work with your design there's no no harm in doing that as well so kind of work to your strengths as well and obviously work towards what needs to be covered in the blueprint so there's some some really yep, good tips exactly. there, Mike. That's awesome well mate okay. thank you very much for having you uh, taking your time out and your busy schedule and, and now you're about to get a lot busier so I'm glad I managed to get you on the podcast before that <laughs> right um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, thank you very much for your time, and uh, great to speak to you and no doubt I'll, I'll catch up soon.
1: Awesome, man. Great. Thanks for All having right.
0: me. Cheers, Mike. Take it easy. So in this week's common mistake section, I want to talk a bit about design decisions. And w- this is something that we've noticed quite a lot lately and this um, topic was brought up to me by Chris Muxler, my special guest from episode number two. and what we're seeing is some candidates not being able to defend their design decisions so for example the candidate is saying they're going to be using this server size or they're going to be using this configuration for their storage array and then when they're being asked the question okay so why did you decide to do this occasionally there'll be times where the candidate uh, is not able to give us an answer for whatever reason and obviously this is not what we're looking for as a panel we want to know that every different decision that is made throughout the design process has been thought about and there's reasonings behind why you made those decisions you know rather than just saying okay well that's the default setting well why is it the default setting and think to yourself what what if i change these default settings what does that mean for my design so taking a step back before you go into the defense, when you're going through your design documentation, look at all of the settings that you're making within the document and think to yourself, why did I make that design decision for that setting? Why did I des- decide to do that? And make sure you know why you decided to do that. And also think to yourself at the same time, why did I decide to n- do that and not the other options available to me? Like, And then start to think to yourself, what are the other options available to you at that point? And then think about, okay, these are the options that were also available to me. Why have I decided to not do those as well? Because you need to understand why you've made a decision, what the other options are available to you, and the reasons why you didn't make the other options part of your design. So I think there's some really good advice there on some of the common mistakes we're seeing within VCDX sessions. So I hope that will help you in the future. That's all we have time for on this episode of the VCDX podcast. Again, thanks to my special guest, Mike Brown. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please be sure to subscribe and share with others who might find this podcast interesting. I'll speak to you all again in a few weeks time.